Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. I have two big announcements this week. First is I finally get to announce one of the fun projects I've been hinting at for months. I got to cameo on the chilling new horror podcast, 13. Every month on the 13th day, they're releasing an episode, and I'm in the newest episode titled Dark and Familiar. If you're a fan of shows like mine or No Sleep or Creepy, you'll love 13. Also, I had the honor of being interviewed for the podcast called Podcasts We Listen To. I had so much fun talking to host Jeremy Collins. We talk about everything from how I got the show started to podcasters being the subjects of erotic fan fiction. It was a blast. Thank you again, Jeremy, for having me. You can find both 13 and podcasts we listen to on all the usual podcast apps. I'm not going to bore you with too much up top because we have some incredible stories this week. I had so much fun with them. My voice is even going because of them, but you'll see. Anyway, this first one is so good, it's mouthwatering. This is Obsession in Yellow by Jesse Blanchard. Mustard. Dijon mustard. Spicy brown mustard. Stone ground mustard. Hot mustard. Spicy Cajun mustard. Honey mustard. I ran my eyes over the beautiful rainbow of yellows, browns, and blacks against the sparkling white backdrop of the fridge door. From top to bottom, every shelf showcasing the variety of the most diverse of condiments. It's just mustard. Robert's voice bellowed in my head as my eyes fell on the hideous bottle of yellow American mustard, shoved in with the rest. With disgust, I yanked the bottle from the shelf and discarded it. Robert never understood the magic of this sauce, a sauce that could be spicy, Sweet, tangy, smoky. He was the only reason I had that abomination in the fridge. Whole grain mustard, Bavarian sweet mustard, Irish pub mustard, horseradish mustard. (sighs) I was again daydreaming of all the things I could drown, glaze, marinate, or season with that beautifully flavored condiment. Pulled from the fridge... The bag of shoulder meat with blood sloshing in the pointy corners. It glistened red and brown with veins of thick, white fat. It's just mustard. Robert was fat, boisterous, and crude. I got chills remembering his stubby fingers and his tongue lapping up that plain, base yellow American mustard, which had squirted from that white bread bun and cheap meat hot dog. The fatty chunk hit the wooden carving board. I began running my hands over the moist meat and sprinkled it with a pinch of kosher salt. A smile crawled across my face as I massaged the glistening red and it jiggled. Jiggling. Robert never stopped jiggling his balls. In public and private, there was never an occasion or a situation or a place that could suppress the urge. It was his right, his privilege as an American man. He would make his pants dance no matter the circumstance. 
I heated the Dutch oven with a drizzle of olive oil, and tingles came over me as the meat sizzled. German mustard, English mustard, beer mustard, deli mustard, mustard with fruit. I grabbed a spirited mustard made with a brandied peach. Cradling the glass jar in my hands, I took a small spoonful to my lips, letting the smell of sizzling meat and the sweet, oaky tang of the sauce mix. The culinary dance had begun. I turned the meat over and began mixing the mustard with some honey, bay leaves, peach puree, marjoram, coriander, and white pepper. I pulled the meat from the ceramic pot, let it rest as I deglazed the pan with peach brandy, and then added some diced shallots and garlic. It's just mustard! So loud. Everything he said had to take over the room noise. Every conversation, if he was in earshot, would be dominated by him. He would stage verbal coups. He didn't have conversations. He gave assaulting speeches, and his was the only opinion that needed to be heard. See, what they're doing wrong is... I placed the meat back in the Dutch oven with a fragrant mix of shallots and garlic, and then spread the mustard sauce over the top and placed the lid on to let the meat braise. Turning the heat to low, I left the pot to cook. How had I ignored those traits, or confused them with being suave, confident, and attractive? As my taste for him began to sour, I noticed what had always been there. The folds on the back of his neck that cascaded with sporadic black, thick hair his arched, slumped, silverback shoulders, the way spit bubbles gathered and turned to white foam as he ranted, the smell he left in a room after a session with weed, internet porn, cheap lube, Cheetos, and a fleshlight. A similar smell lingered in my room. After the summer night, I returned home early from work to that all-too-cliché scene. Those balls just bouncing off her. Bouncing and bouncing. Hairy and jiggling. Such an unflattering angle, I thought. Had his ass always had so many unsightly pimples? A soft nuzzle, followed by a soft whine, broke me from the memory. Looking down to see those sweet eyes of my half-terrier, half-corgi, Frankie... He had definitely been woken from a lazy afternoon nap by the smell of sizzling meat. I reached down to pat his head. Hey boy, you want a treat? I asked, knowingly. His tail began to wag the rest of his body. Setting a cast iron on the stove and turning up the flames, I pulled another bag from the fridge. Opening the bag, my fingers ran across the taut sinew of the meat best I give him something to chew on for a while. It slid almost from my grip as I wrapped my fingers around it to place it on the cast iron. With the sizzle, Frankie's whole bottom began to move about almost out of his control, his feet tapping on the linoleum floor. Searing the round meat, the blood trapped in the veins, bubbled and popped. It didn't take long to cook. It was only a few inches in diameter and length. After letting the meat cool, I knelt down to Frankie's level, 
resting a paw on my thigh, I presented him with the chewy meat and stroked his ears as he bit down. There was a wet snap, and then off Frankie went to enjoy it on the living room floor in a pool of late afternoon sunlight. You deserve something special. And you know, so did I. I stood confidently, peeking into the Dutch oven at the crisp, brown, bubbling, caramelized, fragrant meat. I thought, this was the best thing Rob could have ever done for me. My salivary glands began their response. It's just sex. Robert tried to explain away his transgression. Stupidity. That was the worst feeling, followed by betrayal and just the feeling of being physically sick. A veil had been lifted, and clarity shone like a fluorescent light and hit me like a spoonful of Ipecac. I vomited. I cried. Vomited again. Then... I became calm. I showered because the smell of vomit and the thought of him climbing on me time after time made my skin crawl. It was final. I knew I needed to have him out of my life. Spirited mustard with whiskey. Beer mustard. Sweet and spicy mustard. I grabbed a small mason jar of homemade mustard. This was special. I had grown the plant, harvested the seeds, soaked them in my favorite local apple cider, and pureed into a sauce I sweetened with honey. I added this to some roasted potatoes with a dash of vinegar as the meat rested on the cutting board. As the meat rested, the juices began to pool around it, little flecks of fat glistening under the kitchen light. What other good would or could he have done? He contributed nothing to those around him. I hadn't even heard any concern from his fair weather friends in the last month. Eventually, the unemployment checks will stop. The knife flew through that first cut and my fingers snagged a small bite, sliding it past my lips. The taste and texture combination is always a bit of a surprise. Human meat has the texture of beef, but the flavor palette of pork. The first few tries I had gotten the flavoring all wrong, and there's a taste to the fat that is not found in other meat. Unless you were to feed an animal Taco Bell, snack chips, and soda for months, I assume. As I sat at my solitary dinner, I began to plan the menu for next week's dinner party. Sausages might be a great dish. The weather would be perfect for a cookout, and I could try my hand at smoking. I would definitely want to brine the meat to help take the odd taste out. It would even be an occasion for me to make a few different mustards from my seeds as to complement the different types of sausages. I smiled, thinking of the endeavor. It's just mustard. (sighs) The drone, his smell, and his presence began to quiet with every bite.
Our next story of the evening comes from Lindsay Hepburn. You remember Lindsay. She sent us Tall, Dark, and Handsome, and my name is Teresa Eleanor Cowell. It's been a little while since she's been on the show. I think, oh wow, I just looked at my email. It's been about a year. Um, Welcome back, Lindsay. So she is back this week with Essential Delivery. And just a really quick trigger warning, it has some mention of animal cruelty, and it talks about the current crisis that is going on. So if you want to skip it, just skip ahead about 11 or 12 minutes just to be safe, and you'll get to the next story. All right, enjoy. She looks around the room, the sage and lemon-scented candles lit, casting a warm, dancing light on the dark walls. The slight pitter-patter of spring rain hitting the windows in a soothing rhythm. She raises a glass of Pinotage Malbec blend, swirls the glass in the amber light of the candles, closing her eyes and takes a sip. She feels the rich ruby liquid pour down her throat and into her veins, calming her. The house is so quiet, so peaceful. She smiles. It's been a hard couple of weeks. Since the pandemic, she has been at home alone, watching the news and scared for the future. She's done the 10 push-up challenge, made sourdough bread, cleaned the house, and done it all over again. She's ordered everything and anything online these days, mostly out of boredom, and she smiles at the stockpile of toilet paper she was able to secure before shit really hit the fan. She knows that some people are without some things, but honestly, you snooze, you lose. Finally, she is starting to settle into the new normal, whatever the hell that means. Truth be told, she's happy to have a bit of a break. This forced social distancing is welcome to her right now. This year did not start off on a high. She lost her best friend, the person who she would normally be bitching to right now, after a very short but powerful fight to ovarian cancer. The funeral was meant to be March 17th, a nod to her Irish roots, but it was, like so many other things, cancelled due to the pandemic. It was especially hard on her as she didn't really have anyone else to talk to. Her parents split when she was ten, and her stepmother, the reason for the split to begin with, is a wretched thing that she refuses to be around, and therefore she has not seen her dad in years. Her mom, bless her hippie soul, moved to some sort of hippy-dippy commune in, like, New Mexico or Arizona or some shit. She was likely sitting cross-legged in some mud hut, reeking of patchouli and letting her ratty gray locks form a nest for one of her sacred animal friends to roost. To her mom, she was all but forgotten, a relic from another life. In regards to the relationship department, plentyofmatch.com was full of hard-ons swiping in whatever direction to get as many ladies on their line as possible, but then incapable of holding down a conversation that consisted of more than sup three times a day. No thank you. So, for now, and for the foreseeable self-isolation future, It was just her and her trusty feline, Chucky. Yes, Chucky. Like that Chucky, the adorable but slightly bloodthirsty doll. Her Chucky was an orange tabby with a pretty big chunk missing from his right ear. 
but the same bloodlust, albeit for small rodents that lived in her cellar. Come to think of it, she had not seen him in a little bit. He was either stalking his dinner downstairs or sleeping in a pile of clean laundry that would likely never find their way to the drawers this month. She took another sip of wine and saw that she was pretty close to being done with the bottle. Wow, she would have to take a bit of a pause on this nightly indulgence or risk end up like her drunken wicked stepmom. But not until this was all over. And at least for now, the good news is that with a quick click of a button, she could get more wine delivered by the morning. She closed her eyes again and took in a deep breath. (sighs) Life was going to turn out okay. This was just like rebooting a really big global computer, right? She let out a big sigh and listened again to the rain tapping on the window. There's a quick rat-tat-tat on the window that breaks the silence. She jumps slightly and spills some of the wine on her sweatshirt. Shit, she hisses and uses her free hand to wipe off the red beads on her chest. Shit, shit! This was her best friend's sweatshirt that she was given right before she passed. She ran to the laundry room to take it off and put it to soak. It was getting close to bed, so instead of putting on another shirt, she grabs the ridiculously raunchy black silk robe with the red lace trim from the back of the bedroom door and wraps it around herself. She catches sight of herself in the mirror, Hair could use a wash, red wine stains make her smile look a bit like the Joker, and the silk robe makes her look as if her profession is not in publishing. She smiles at her reflection and mutters, or more accurately, slurs, Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Now that her heartbeat is back to normal, she heads towards the front door, where she is sure that the knocking was just the announcement of a delivery of some kind by a hazmat-wearing delivery person. She opens the door a crack and looks left to her makeshift delivery bin and sees that it is empty. Weird. Seriously, people, now is not the time to be asking if I need a subscription to the Jello of the Month Club. Ignorant dickwads. She settles back into the chair and tops up her glass. Not quite creating a meniscus at the top of the glass, but pretty damn close. She flicks on the television and starts to look for all those binge-worthy shows people are talking about. Blind King or Love is for Tigers or whatever the hell those shows are. One more time. Thankfully, only the remote is in her hand this time, so no more spilling. She is still startled, but with a bit of red wine encouragement and a fast pulse, yells, Go the fuck away, you piece of human shit! Into the room. She then slams down the remote on the coffee table and stomps to the door, black silk trailing behind her dramatically. She gets to the door, turns the lock, and flings it open, ready to give this person a piece of her mind. She stares into the dark and sees a package for her. Of course, it is not in the appropriate location, a clearly marked bin reading deliveries that only the most incompetent of people could miss, but on the first step, just a bit out of the light and out of her reach. Your mom's a whore, she yells into the empty night as she stomps towards the delivery, frustrated. What she finds brings the wine up from her stomach, and it comes streaming out of her mouth and nostrils, and she clutches the railing 
with both hands. There in front of her is Chucky, or I guess was Chucky. His skin has been removed, and now his orange hide covers the outside of a brown box like gift wrap. The box has been opened to reveal the cheap plastic crap she ordered from the website a few days ago in boredom. The box is soaked through with blood, and a note reads, I hope you enjoy your essential item. There is a flicker of movement on her right, and she tries to step back inside to slam the door as quickly as she can. But a blood-stained blue latex-gloved hand reaches out for her and grabs hold of her wrist, not quite being able to get a good grip because of the silk robe. She pulls and twists backwards and is able to slide out of the robe, but loses her footing and falls backwards. She tries to get up and run, but he is inside the house and on her. He is straddling her now and raises a gleaming silver hunting knife high above her and quickly brings it down hard again and again until she can no longer feel the searing pain. Before he goes, he lifts up the carcass's package of Chucky and throws it inside on top of her. He closes the door and uses his antibacterial wipes to clean the outside of the door and his latex gloves. This social distancing and self-quarantining is really making this job easy for him. No one will notice this self-indulgent landfill-adding bitch missing. Not for months. He looks in his bag and pulls out his next delivery. What was once a yappy white oodle-doodle dog now wrapped for delivery for Catherine Dennison at 123 Oak Street. Looks like she found it essential to order a bath bomb-making kit right now. Tsk tsk. This isn't essential, Catherine. He grins, one side of his mouth raising slightly more than the other, pulls up his face mask, and continues to walk down the street, making sure to keep six feet apart from anyone he sees before he jumps into his delivery van. Our last story of the evening is by Robert Hare, or Air, Hare, Air. I'm so sorry, Robert. Um, this is called The Hostage. I'm going to try to recall as much detail as I can regarding the recent events that happened to me, if only to try to make sense of it myself. Call it a hunch, but I doubt I'm much longer for this world, so let me get this down on paper before anything prevents this story from getting out. My name is Tom Uchenek. I'm from America, and I recently experienced something that is completely beyond my explanation. Please... I beg of you, at least hear this out until the end so that at least somebody may believe me. 
here it goes. It started about seven months ago when I got a call from my client. He's a very rich and powerful man, so it would be in my best interest not to mention his name. He had a job for me, a job for both me and Seth, and a third person as of yet to be mentioned. That means it's pretty damn serious. You see, Seth and I aren't your usual businessmen. We're in the business of taking care of people. Not in the way you think, either. If you have a problem with someone and you need them to shut up quick for whatever reason, you call me or Seth. So, again, the fact that both of us got this job along with someone else means that shit was pretty important. My client was unusually vague with this particular assignment. I was to head out to Moscow in a day and meet Seth and the other guy there. A bit weird, I thought, but this was the biggest payday my client had offered me and course, how could I say no? Off to Moscow, I headed the very next day. Holy shit, it was cold over there. It took a bit longer to find Seth than I'd have liked, but nonetheless, there he was. He introduced me to the new guy. He said his name was Wes. I was never a big fan of introducing new people to our jobs, but those were the parameters. Seth said he knew him from his old neighborhood. He was good in Seth's book, he was good in mine. Trust is pretty important in this business, after all. I figured Wes was like everyone else who wanted to get into this lifestyle. He fucked up one too many times and needed to pay off a bunch of debt, and damn quick, too. After the formalities, we huddled together at some bar right outside of the airport and got down to business. Seth had been informed who the target was. Some old man who lived up in the furthest reaches of Siberia. The town was called Oymyakon. After I had looked it up on a map, I noticed that this was about 70 or so miles from where my mother had grown up. Strange, sure, but I didn't think anything of it at the time. This place is at least a five-day drive from here, I mentioned to the other two. Seth slammed what was left of his beer and basically said it was time to head out. Along the drive, I remember one particular night when we were driving in the pitch black at night. I had the wheel. Wes was asleep in the back of the rental car, and I asked Seth about something he wasn't too keen on talking about. How's Becca doing? I said in a low and almost passive voice. She's fine, he responded. You know, if there's anything I can do... I said she's fine. He clearly didn't want to speak any more of it. I mean, could you blame the guy? That was his daughter, and... If he wasn't on some job for our mutual client, he may have been there to save her. After what felt like an eternity, we finally got to the village. Seth had mentioned that we had to look for a man who lived in the most secluded shack in the whole area. I didn't think this was much to go on, but again, he doesn't play well. Whatever he wants, he gets. My Russian was rusty at best, but I managed to find someone who was able to point us in the right direction. One thing you have to understand about people who live in seclusion like this is that they immediately distrust strangers like us. That being said, the man seemed all too happy to tell us how to get to the place we asked about. This also struck me as strange, as my mother had told me on her deathbed when I was young never to trust anyone who was too forthcoming with information. 
I brushed this aside as well. After all, we had a job to do, and a damn good payday to cash in on. We were told the shack was about a mile's hike into the woods, and that no one particularly wishes to ever go there. We decided to come up with a plan at the local watering hole to see what else we could find out about this old man. Anyone else we spoke to either pretended they knew nothing about what we were talking about, or flat out spit in our faces. As we were sitting and formulating, my phone vibrated. Don't kill him. Tie him to something first and send me a photo. Then await further instructions. This kind of text was typical of our client. He liked to play things close to the chest and reveal information in piecemeal formation. I showed the text to Seth and Wes. They nodded and we set forth with our plans. After hiking through the woods to what was the only house in the area, we went over the plan. It was well past midnight, so he was probably asleep. Wes would find an entry point via a window nearest to the bedroom, and Seth and I would guard both the front and back door. As we approached the shack, we saw that there was a light flickering in the windows. A fire, no doubt. I had crept up to a window to have a look inside. There was the old man, sitting and staring into his fire pit. He seemed tall and lanky. He was dressed in a black suit, with a bowler cap on, and had a thick mustache along with unshaven gray hair that spread out across his face. We regrouped and went over the plan once more. Wes was able to find an open window in the kitchen and slipped in unnoticed. I took the front and Seth took the back. After Wes called out to us, we both kicked in the doors and met up with Wes by the fireplace. His gun was pointed at the old man, as were all of ours. I pulled out a stash of rope I had procured earlier and tied him to his chair. As I stepped in front of him, I saw his face for the first time. His eyes were sunken into his head, a piercing blue, and his skin was white as chalk. Gentlemen, he said in a voice that sounded like he was breathing inward. I didn't think you would come so soon. We had dismissed what he said as nonsense and began setting him up for the photo our client had asked for. He was completely submissive as we moved him closer to the fireplace and told him of our client's wishes. He laughed. (laughs) Now, I had been on some ugly jobs before and dealt with people who would make you piss your pants in fear. This man's laugh was so unnerving that I felt chills run down my spine. It was like I could feel the devil himself run his icy cold fingers down my spine. But he just kept laughing. (laughs) I brushed it aside as I did everything else and pointed my phone at him. I got the picture, I sent it. My phone then vibrated. What the fuck is this? The client asked. I looked at the photo. There was just a black and hideous blur where the old man was. Sorry, sir. I texted back. Let me take another. I took his photo again. I looked at it this time. 
and saw a black cloud where the old man sat. It filled me with a feeling like I never felt before of dread and unease. In the middle of that black cloud were two red eyes. I looked up and only saw the old man, chalk white in his suit and those piercing blue eyes of his. I swear to God, they shot right through me. He smirked and asked me something. Unable to copy your mother's bullshit recipe yet? I nearly dropped my phone. How the fuck could he have known? How the fuck did he know any of this? Oh God, in his voice, it was so gritty and dark. Wes came up to me and told me that he would take the photo and send it to the client. He had the same luck as I did. Just then, my phone vibrated again. No photo, no pay. God damn it. This is by far the most bizarre thing our client had asked, and we decided that it just wasn't worth it anymore. Fuck you, I replied. As we decided to cut our losses, we looked out the window. The snow must have come so suddenly as for us not to notice it. We were barricaded in that house with that old man. He gave another one of his worldly laughs, and I swear it was like hearing Hell's chorus shrieking into my ears. We're we're going to have to wait out the storm, Seth said with an uneasy voice. We decided we would take shifts watching the old man. Seth would take first shift with Wes watching over him, and I could get a few hours of sleep. As I entered what I thought was a bedroom, I looked onto the walls. Jesus Christ, this man had jars of some kind of metallic substance, the most vile and evil shade I'd ever seen. As I looked at each one, they started to resonate in such peculiar ways that I didn't know what to make of them. I swear I heard my mother's voice in one of the jars and immediately collapsed to the floor. It was her voice for sure, but speaking in a way I had never heard before. She sounded evil, like a scratchy and gritty version of herself, and it asked me so many questions. Why did you leave me? Why did you abandon your family? How could you turn your back on us? It was so overwhelming. I felt my head start to cave in on itself. My palms wet, my body shaking. Who was this old man? How did he manage to obtain these jars? And why the fuck are they all sounding like my dead mother? Just as I moved my hands from my ears, I heard a scream. Not in my mother's altered demonic voice, but in Seth's voice. It was blood-curdling, like he was scared in ways that only people could imagine. I raced outside and saw the old man. He had somehow gotten loose from his ties to the chair. Seth lay on the floor with his head turned in a 180 degree spin, his eyes bulging in terror. Wes was sitting in the corner. His screams were so loud, I'd swear he would rupture his vocal cords. 
The old man sat on top of Seth. His eyes had grown black. His skin seemed almost translucent to show dark red veins pulsing through his body. His hair had grown long and white, like ivy in a snowstorm, and he took a piece of rope he was firmly tied up with and savagely whipped himself with it. He screamed. He looked up to the stars themselves and screamed in a way that defied the laws of nature. It was guttural. It was demonic. It was pure hell. Seth's body lay flat under the old man as he continued this bizarre ritual. Then, his eyes met with Wes's. In a flash, he had him in his grasp. His full height and strength now shone for all to see. He lifted Wes at least three feet in the air and stared at him. Wes's screams stopped, almost as if he was hypnotized. Then the old man twisted his neck with a sickening crack. He looked over the body and began to convulse. His head twisted and shook like a demon's, and his arms and hands began reaching for the rope he had before. I burst through the window back in the bedroom. I honestly can't remember how far I ran or what direction I ran in. I just knew I needed to get away. As I ran, I could hear my heart pounding in my chest, second only to the screams from that shack my client had told us to visit. Those screams that seemed to be from a thousand people all at once, but came from one source, like hell itself was howling away at the moon. I hope you take this story seriously. I can't describe it in any other way. Please, just never go to the remote land of Oimiyakon. Evil lives there. I've seen it firsthand. Thanks for listening, and thank you to my sponsors, Best Fiends, and BetterHelp. Remember, you can always find links to my offer codes in the show notes. Now for Patreon shoutouts, a huge, warm, and cozy thank you to Jess, Melody Hoshik, Jody Peterson, and Delilah Wellman. Thank you so much, everyone. I'm sending you all hugs and light and happiness and gratitude. Thank you so, so much for supporting the show in such a big way. You can follow the show on all social medias. Remember to check out my guest spots on 13 and podcasts we listen to. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.